Okay, good afternoon, everybody. So here we are on our latest podcast, and I want to introduce you to somebody who is going to feature regularly on this channel. Um, He's a good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. He actually taught me to drive boats many moons ago. I think we've worked it out when I was about 13. So my maths, that's about 23 years ago, which is quite quite concerning. But since then, Mark and I have become good friends. Um, We've also done some sort of interesting trips and passages together, Um, some good, some bad. Some where boats broke, some where boats didn't. But um, there's lots of interesting stories to come. And what we're going to do is we're going to basically um, introduce Mark today and a bit about who he is and what he does and how he's got into doing what he does now. And then what we're going to do over the future episodes, we're going to dot them in. We're going to talk about some of the trips that we've done in previous years. So what I'll do is I'll introduce you to Mark now. So good afternoon, Mark. Hi, Tom. How are you doing? Very well. Good. Thank you very much for taking the time to come and see us and have a little chat. So, where did you get? How did tell me what's? I don't actually know really. How did you get into boats? What's your background on boats? Purely by accident. It was um, well, basically, my my parents were in the navy, so I've got a, a background where you would have thought I'd have been quite interested in boats, but it was that's far from the far from the actual truth. Um, so I was um, travelled a lot as a child from my dad's different bases, Scotland, south, south of the UK, Plymouth, what have you. Um, but the sea was never part of our life growing up. My father, although in the Navy, couldn't actually swim, oh, okay. ironically. Yeah. Although my mum was an old a British swimmer back in the 60s. So, but it's, so, but we, although I was taught to swim, it was, we never went to the beach particularly, had no interest in it at all. Um, moved to Malta for a few years which is where I grew up as a as a kid and again apart from going down the jumping off the pier on an afternoon after school it was never never something really a sort of appealed to me and I guess it wasn't pushed because my father wasn't comfortable with it but then I went to boarding school went to a military boarding school and they just had a reservoir built um near the school where we were allowed to sail and we had um bosuns up there yeah. and lasers and uh, so sort of once a week or an afternoon, we'd have a sailing lesson. Now, the sailing lessons were taken by retired chief petty officers and POs from the Navy who were working at the school because it was a military, obviously a naval boarding school. And they did the shooting, CCF and that type of thing. But so sailing was part of it, but they were old school. So we'd be on the bosuns, be three or four lads and a, and a petty officer, this old boy in his 60s, grizzled old guy. You do something wrong, and it's a it's a hand to the back of the head. So I hated it. I thought this is not this is just I just dreaded it. I just thought it should be fun, and it wasn't. So boating was in the back of my mind. Never it was never there. I I left the boarding school, went to college, did A levels, did a hospital professions course, and then started to train as a radiographer. But didn't enjoy. I enjoyed the job, but the the environment of working in the dark, going home in the dark. I never saw the sunshine in the winter. Yeah, so it wasn't. So that wasn't me, and I was more outdoorsy. Sort of grew up, grew up on the moors, and you know, in the countryside, and that, that more that that was more appealing to me. So I didn't really know what to do with myself. So um, I, I left there after a year, and I was just 18, 18 and a half, and MDL was um, advertising for a boat cleaner. 
And for those listeners out there, if you remember my last podcast, and if you haven't listened to it, go and listen to it, is actually with Mike Smith, who's the MDL Marina Manager here in Torquay. Um, So when you hear the MDL, that's Marina Developments Limited, and that's one of the the, the marina operators here in the UK. So they just start they just built a, a marina in Torquay in 84 and I'm going back to I'm talking about 87 now so they've just been sort of newly established and they were selling sea rays MDL were actually selling sea rays had an office actually where Tom's office is now in the same in the same part of the building and they wanted a part-time boat cleaner in the summer so I thought okay I'm going to do this so mum doesn't give me a hard time so I've got a bit of pocket money coming in um, and went down there I saw a chap called Don May who uh, um, a nice guy he offered me the job said we can clean these boats so I haven't clue what I was doing so went down there bucket and sponge in hand and off I went um, and I've, I'm quite into detail a bit OCD I, I guess so I used to I was doing quite a good job and then I had people walking past saying oh that's quite nice we'd fancy doing my boat so that sort of developed and within by the end of the summer I was cleaning boats for MDL boats of private guys and I thought why not do this for myself so yeah. I <laughs> And there was a chap called Alan Chawton who sort of took me under his under his, his wing. He's unfortunately died now, he died a couple of years ago. But he um, he looked after me. At the time, it didn't feel like it. <laughs> he, was, he scared the bejesus out of me. But um, you know, but he was he he was trying to steer me into sort of have my own little business. So, and he introduced me to other, some of his friends, and so I got to um, wash other boats, and I got to know about boating. I started to enjoy it. It's lovely. It's outdoors. These people seem pretty nice. They're friendly to me. I was making a bit of money, um, and then that developed. So I learned how to anti-foul, um, change anodes. It was all the basic sort of stuff. So it's just growing knowledge, um, self-taught really. And then one of the chaps, um, and I'm still working for MDL, but uh, but subcontracting to them. And one of the brokers there, he fancied himself as a bit of a skipper, and he'd asked me to come along as crew. So I'd go along with him as crew. And I look back now and he was actually a terrible skipper, but I knew near a difference. So I used to go along and he'd go out in any conditions any, and I was just sat there, yeah, oh, this is great, bang, bash, bashing around, haven't had a clue. And I was, he made a lot of mistakes, and which I've learned from since, look, looking back. And then I had a few owners who'd say, after I'd cleaned the boat, oh, when do you come out and uh, I'll tell you how to drive. So I remember the first time I ever went out was with a chap called Paul Crofton. And he had a big old... Um, I think not Sea Ray, a Bayliner, but a 435 Bayliner. That's a big Bayliner. Which was a big Bayliner, you know, by any standards. Yeah. And um, he taught me to drive, but he took me out to this boy out at one of the, one of the racing marks out in the bay, in Tall Bay, and was teaching me to drive it and using um, the boy as a central point. And I was to approach it from different angles, like a clock. Um, with the wind obviously affecting me in different ways. And he was just showing me how to do it, just using the throttles. It was a shaft drive boat. And I took to it really well. I guess I was young, so I just absorbed the information. I didn't have any fear either, I guess because it wasn't my money I was playing with. So I started driving boats. And then the recession hit. And I hadn't had any, any qualifications at this stage. And it was a couple of years down the road since I started working down there. And I'm fairly well established, not as a skipper, but just doing sort of garden arch, I guess. But I could drive boats. I did move a few boats around myself to Dartmouth just for lift outs. But then the recession hit, I was like, okay. I spent all this money being, a, being sort of jack about town, a new car and all the rest of it, and I couldn't afford to sustain it. Everybody, I was a luxury in a luxury market, so my business what sort of quieted down. What year was this in? Um, 90. 90, 19. yeah. So I'd met a, a chap on a yacht who'd come in here for a month. He was a skipper on this big oyster, and he'd um, 
he used to play Dungeons and Dragons on the boat with him. And then I did a few little sailing trips with him up to Southampton. And then eventually he um, took the boat to the Caribbean, to the Virgin Islands. But I stayed in touch. I had his, he had an, I had a contact number out there. So I thought, well, nothing's going on here. I'm, I'm young. I'm st st or single at the time. Why not give that a try? Yeah, definitely go to the sunshine. Yeah, so I rang him up. Says, any jobs going? He said, well, you can come over and I'll, you can stay with me and you can speak to my boss. I'm working for a charter company now called North South. We've got sixty boats, mix of yachts and power boats, Troy Lees and a mix of, and and CNC, which is a Canadian um, yacht, all different sizes, up to about fifty-one feet. If you want to come over, um, and I can introduce you to the, my boss and see if we've got any work for you. I said, oh, fine, okay. So I had I had zero money at this stage, so, but I had a Rolex watch. So I gave a Rolex watch to um, a friend of mine, and she gave me five hundred pound as a, as a and as a, in exchange, he kept the watch. He said, well, just pay me back when you have to next see you. And with that money, I had a one-way ticket to the Virgin Islands. And um, got there. I had a couple hundred euro, um, dollars in my pocket. That was it. And a one-way ticket. So when I got oh, there, I was, I was stuck there. So um, my friend put me up in a hotel for the first night on his expense, which is lovely. And I, was just, I remember sitting there and thinking, what, what have I done? It was boiling hot. I was watching these lizards run up and down the wall. Thinking this is this is a bit scary, really. You know, I've got, but I had nothing to lose. So um, next day, um, he picked me up in his truck, went down to his um, to Nanny Key Marina in Tortola, where the where the um, office was, and I met the boss, a guy called Terry Turl, Canadian chap. Um, used to used to play yeah, a lot of ice hockey. A lot of Canadians do, yeah. covered in scars from his fighting in the uh, in his hockey days, and uh, had a beer with him. Sat on the porch of the office. At the marina and uh, we got on pretty well he said i'll tell you what i can give you some day work so i said okay what sort of things so, well we you know polishing anti-fanny but said, well i know how to do that it's fine let's see if we get things move on and i'll see what else you can do yeah. you've got to do it on the so it's, it's got to be on the quiet because you're obviously you're not registered here to work so yeah fine i understand so i had to pretend i was the nephew with the owners of the boat or some 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 little story like that so in case i somebody spotted me and reported me to to um, customs um, and immigration, obviously. So um, that's what I started. So I started doing that, living at my friend's on the floor at my on my living living room um, sofa at my friend's place, and cleaning his boats for a bit of cash. And then he said, "Do you know how to?" Then the boss said, "Do you know how to drive?" I said, "Yeah, I can drive boats." So oh, this chap's come over from South Africa, on, and he wants to go out on this forty-five Troy Lee, but he wants a skipper. I said, "I can do that." So I did that. And I did a good job. So I got to drive a lot of the boats and sail them. That sounds quite cool. So he said, okay, I'll, I'll give you a job. Go back to England, come back after a couple of weeks and I'll get the visas all sorted yeah. out. So that's what I did. I flew out. This is after about four or five months. Came back and he um, got, a, got a stamp. I had to pretend I was some sort of genius, like rocket scientist type of thing, you know, a mechanical engineer of electronics. Something that wasn't the island didn't provide or people on the island couldn't provide that only somebody off island could yeah, do. Yeah, so you had to sort of find a bit yeah, of Yeah, so it was all of, and they, he paid, I think it was a $1,000 and that had, had to be renewed yearly, and I got my visa to to stay to work. So I, I started life there, doing boat briefings and chart briefings to um, to clients from the states and from from Europe. So I'd have to I had to know the boats intimately, inside out, sail and power, and show them through the boats, give them a briefing on the islands, and then whilst when all the boats when there was no clients around, then I had to repair the boats and do all the sail rigging work and tune the rigging. So. Learning all these new Lots skills. Of experience. Yeah. So how long did you do all that for? Well, I was out there for four years. I ended up. My friend ended up leaving after two. I ended up. 
um, being the um, assistant manager. And then my boss, unfortunately, they lost a child, him and his wife, um, unexpectedly in childbirth. So he went back to Canada um, for six months. So I ended up running the company for yeah. six months, 60 boats. 15 to 20 guys w working for me and it was, it was it was hard work but it was such a good invaluable experience um and i had a, by this stage i'd had a i bought a, a yacht of um uh 40 uh 43 foot endeavor which i did up and then eventually sold sold on but um so that ho and then i learned to dive became a dive instructor whilst out there as a hobby so the whole experience was great it was i, um, I had a massive learning curve i had a, my own boat which i learned to which i had to rebuild renovate I learned more about sailing boats, about power boats, about servicing them, about fixing things when it's very difficult to get parts on the island, dealing with the, the winds out there are amazing. So having to control a boat on your own in, in different wind conditions, the only good thing was, and also the coral and what have you out there was pretty, pretty spectacular. The only easy thing about it was no tides. <laughs> yeah. So, but apart from that, it was actually quite a challenging place, but so what, beautiful. What year did you come back to the UK then? So I would have come back in 90... 495 and then started doing both no super, super yachts oh were you super yachts i went yeah. super yachts and so my friend the same guy by this stage um he'd worked in the states but then he he was he then got a job on a um working with a venezuelan lady he needed a um he bought a, a super yacht in the uk it was up at um in in london yeah i forgot the name of the marina there, st catherine's, st. catherine's yeah. dock been a repossessed charter boat and it was being used as an office for the, the the bank who had repossessed the boat so it's in a very poor condition managed to get it down to um portsmouth to um to get it dry docked and repaired um so we got it down there had six months there he he just employed me basically as a sort of his oppo i guess you navigate a safety officer but did a lot of repair work in in um yeah in, in the, the dry dock maybe employed maybe got some crew together and then our job was we had to take the boat to venezuela and that i mean that's a story for another day but yeah no, that no. was a good experience um got a lot of sea miles then uh, then when i came back from that i did all my exams right okay so i built up a load of experience before i did my exams which is a bit, which is a bit backward i know um but i had to get qualified it was getting more difficult you couldn't start insurance companies were pushing for things to be changed now with the qualifications so i just did everything i did up to ocean master did everything in one hit then i did another um went out on another super yacht out in the states so i went out there on a 145 foot um uh, yacht it was 153 foot yacht something like that but it was a big it was a big yacht um came out of a lursen yard up in um germany and um and that was based it was based around sort of bahamas east coast of the united states so spent some time on that boat did the, did some super yacht shows on that did fort lauderdale around bahamas bermuda that was interesting but it wasn't my my cup of tea it was i just short-lived type of experience well it was just it was i think it was no it's more sort of um you're running a hotel that's what it felt yeah. like it, and you'd like right boat has to go here yeah you move it there clean it up and then you have to wait and you're waiting for the owner to turn up and then oh yeah we can't make it okay can you take it down to miami and do the miami boat show yeah and they, we had to do so many boat shows we had because it had to be for sale or for um charter for tax reasons yeah. and so we had to go and be seen at different boat shows so you go to a boat show tidy up the boat stand around in your in your full rig taking questions from journalists and what have you and it wasn't my it wasn't my cup of tea. It was just boring. And then you spend around just hang around on the boat, 
sort of doing not a lot. So it, I thought, no, this isn't, this isn't me. And so I, after doing that, you came back to the Well, UK. yeah, I had a hank. Well, I did have a hankering to go into the Marines, probably based on the fact that my parents were in the military and I went to a military boarding school. So I, I decided to come back. I was still young enough and reasonably fit enough to do that. So that's what I did. I went into the Marines and weirdly ended up doing the same thing. Work, um, ended up in landing craft, LC branch in Poole for a couple of years as a coxswain. <laughs> so, so I was driving boats, but I was driving boats up beaches and bashing them around. So yeah. it was a different type Slightly of boating. Different boating. Yeah. And I had to do my exams again because I wanted to see it from scratch. So that was, that was quite good. It was a, ref it was, good refresher. yeah, it was a different thing. Luckily I didn't have a, I never saw combat, didn't get shot at, which is perfectly fine by me. I just needed to get it out of my system. So I only spent, I spent three, four years in there, but after that I came out and then I went back to the Torquay and doing, I started doing what I'm doing now, which is um, driving boats, doing deliveries, teaching, and then people teaching, like me. and then yeah, the instruction. That's when I met you, I think. So yeah, I started teaching then, um, and and I've got my did my instructor's course as well a bit later on. So and I've been doing that ever since. So um, it's changed a lot, I would say, in the last twenty years, especially with the f diesel, um, um, diesel the, prices, the, and stuff. The, yeah, the VAT prices on <laughs> diesel. <laughs> And also the last recession changed things as well with transportation. Yeah. I did, used to, like with you, I used to do, we, we did a few trips to the Med, back from the Med. That doesn't happen anymore. No. It's, it's transportation because they took over because they were, they were looking for work and they didn't have any and after 2008. Started doing deals on transportation of boats and then that, then that, biz, that side of the business disappeared. I mean, I think that's interesting for people to know. And if you don't know boats, basically, when you move a boat around um, on the water, then basically you've got two ways of doing it. You can move it, what they call, on its own bottom, so on its own hull, which is fine. Um, you just basically do long days, getting the mileage done. The other option is you take it and do deck cargo. Um, you can go via road, but that doesn't really work for anyone go over 40 foot, really. Um, but up to up to sort of um, over 40 foot, you can go onto um, the certain ships, and they load you onto the ship using the ship's crane, and they do different offload destinations. So a typical route is Southampton, Parma, Parma, Genoa, Genoa, down to Malta. Um, they do jib now a bit more as well. So that's a tender way to do it. But also in that time period, and Mark's been driving boats, the fuel prices has changed massively, hasn't oh, it? I mean, you've gone from paying 10p a litre so, yeah, to, to 90p a litre. Well, so well, I mean, I get commercial rate because I'm a commercially rated skipper now. But um, I mean, you can pay, in this country, you're paying pound thirty a litre. And if you get a discount if you're MDL do a discount on their fuel if you're an MDL berth holder. Um, but if you go to the if you go abroad now to, in the EU, you're paying well in Italy for example, you could be paying one eighty, one ninety. Yeah, that's crazy. Euros so it, it just does to show, and like any industry, there's, there's influence or external influences which none of us can control, and they affect me on the sales side. They affect Mark on the driving and mm. skippering side. So um, and so, you can remember teaching me. You can remember when I first met you. I was how I was literally like a kid, <laughs> which is quite quite ridiculous, really. That Mark's known me that long, and, yeah. and like I say, since then we've done where it's changed with Mark and I is that when um, before I started working with Santika many years ago, as you hear back in my earlier podcast, um, Mark and I used to sort of often, and we actually did, for example, we were on a boat together in, uh, on 9-11 and everyone so often says, where were you on 9-11? Well, Mark and I were delivering Swanic. Uh, a Princess 430 or was it a 460? 460, 460 to 460 Swanick. from Torquay to Swanick. And yeah. as we got to Swanick, we heard all about it. And it just goes to show over those years, we've had lots of really good I experiences. I think the second plane hit when we was in the dock office, yeah. they were talking about 
about it, watching it on TV, even the second plane actually hit whilst we were Scary, there. Scary, crazy. And that's, just, yeah. Even that's a long time ago in its own right, isn't it? Yeah, and that's yeah. a long time ago. So what I want to do is really, I think it would be really interesting for listeners out there to, to hear about some of our stories. Um, I mean, probably the, the one of the first trips Mark and I did was back from Mallorca to Dartmouth, which was a failed attempt because never, I never actually got back to Dartmouth. I got off. Uh, and <laughs> you Mark left me. Fly back. Left me an alert. We'll yeah. talk about that. We'll maybe have to do a whole podcast about that. And yeah. um, more recent years, we've done a great trip. We did a great trip from Sicily up to uh, France, which, uh, again, I didn't make the whole of. So maybe I'm cursed, Mark. Maybe I shouldn't yeah, I do any of these trips. You're, you're my Jonah. Yeah. yeah, maybe I shouldn't do any of these trips. But I think over the, over, over the next few weeks and months, we'll, we'll definitely talk about those in a bit more detail when I'm with Mark. And, and what we'll also try and do maybe is we'll do a podcast one day when Mark and I are actually on a boat, moving a boat, and we'll go through the process, you know, what we're doing, where we're going, what we're looking out for when we're at sea. And, and they're perhaps experiences which a lot of the listeners don't get. Um, so if we can give you some of that insight and uh, and we'll try and take some photos. And we've both got Instagram accounts here. I'm always plugging my Instagram account, at Suntikatom. But what's yours, Mark? Coxwain1. Coxwain1, which is C-O-X-S-W-A-I-N-1. That's correct. That's right. So what I'll do is I'll put it on the podcast cover art, uh, work so you can see that. So go and check out Mark's Instagram profile. Don't forget, give me some feedback. I'm not getting any feedback yet, guys. So I'm doing this freelance, free, free angle. I'm not sure what you want to hear about, but I thought you'd quite like to hear from Mark about some of his trips and it's great to, get a bit of, <laughs> great to get a bit of background on, on where he's come from. So um, I'm sure there's some interesting stories. And, all, and, and also I think it's, it's I mean people's buying a boat and you have an opinion on the type of boat or a type of drive or how to get a boat from A to B especially a long trip the, the, the planning side of things always is quite yeah, definitely. important so. and the fuel and as the things well, that right? can go wrong things that go wrong yeah. and the unforeseen things that can go wrong yeah I mean going back to what we were talking about um, how everything's going on going by transport now I mean I, I knew I knew the long trips were dead when I went I was asked to quote to take a boat a 68 Sun uh not Sunseeker, uh, Fairline Squadron, back from Italy to uh, back to um, Lymington. And I worked it out with the fuel, and I'm talking, this is talking about seven, eight years ago now, that it would be around £65,000, which is mental. And Loads so of that was fuel. That's that's all fuel. And, th- and, and that boat was, would hold like just shy of 4,000 litres of fuel. That, that's, that's a day's run. Yeah. So that's a long way to go. So... I got a quote to take to get the boat for me to fly out with a crew to where the boat was, just south of Portofino. Took it up to um, near Genoa, put it onto transport onto a ship, and the ship took took it to Rotterdam. I went went with the same crew uh, two weeks later to pick up the boat from Rotterdam, two days to Lymington. But the cost for me to do that and the shipping came to thirty three thousand yeah, pounds, half the price. And that's still with me. Moving, Definitely. moving it a few hundred, three hundred miles. Well, let's um, yeah. let's try and, in like I say, in future episodes, we'll go into a bit more detail on some of these trips you've done because I think listeners would find it interesting. You'll probably want your own podcast channel, man. Yeah, yeah. You'll probably that's, overtake that's it. me. I'm, that's it. I'm, you I'm, I'm off. You'll be on there tonight. I'll write a list of ideas. Boom, and we'll have it out there. <laughs> Well, look, guys, we'll, we'll cap it off there. Don't forget, go and go and see, go and look at our Instagram profiles. Go and have a look. Um, 
I hope you enjoy this. I am starting to see my listen count go up and up and up, which is really good. I'm really appreciating the listeners coming in from uh, United States. Still majority UK, which is good. I haven't yet announced this on my own personal social media platforms because what I'm trying to do is basically get a good library out there of podcasts before I tell everybody about it. And um, I'm hoping at that point I will get some more listeners. And if you are one of those listeners, thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, I think this is a revolution uh, with the podcast world. And I think we're all going to be listening to them now. Um, well, certainly lots of us will on, on, on when we can in the car and on runs and in the office because it's more interesting than just listening to the same old song time and time again. So thank you as always. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel and listen to some of the podcasts when you next can. Uh, and say thank you to Mark now for coming. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And uh, we hope you all have a rest of a good day and we'll speak to you again soon. Bye for now. Bye.